0: Today is August 5th, 2019. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, Blood, and Bagani of the Confederacy. People call it Bican. Um, Begun, I should say. Well, no, the Indian Act says that. Anyway, anyway, these lands are, are on... Treaty 7 signed in 1877 with signatories that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, Wesley Chiniki Bearspaw Nations, and Sutina Nation. We acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. Oki, okay. Mikochees, Chase Aki. My name is Red Thunder Woman in th- in ceremony. My English name is Michelle Robinson. My humblest humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. I honour the Blackfoot and these lands that we're on. Uh, my, I was born as Michelle Elliot, a very English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene, or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian that I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act-imposed status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories, which makes me a visitor to this area. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare People, also called the Great Bear Lake People in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene Nation is a visitor to this area of Clincho tinne indehay in my language of Satu Dene, meaning many horse town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgments are critical to creating safer spaces for Indigenous, as well as honouring the host as a guest. Any mistakes and misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I can share what I know as I walk down the Red Road. If you're experiencing emotional distress after hearing anything we talk about today and want to talk call the first nation and inuit hope for wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310 it is toll free and open 24 hours a day seven days a week non-indigenous there are distress center lines in your area too my patreon account is native calgarian thank you for previous donors that have already showed their support to the show if you value listening and can afford to give thank you. To those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc@gmail.com, at gmail.com where you can send in your questions or comments. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. So I feel like I have a lot to talk about today. Um, I was going down to the Calgary Public Library to look up some information about, um, actually, uh Shelter. That's what I was, I was originally there for, was to find some old uh, newspaper clips and, uh, um, you know, information on when Ruth was building up that center. And I was doing it for a friend of mine because um, I know that uh, Jesse Thistle, he, and when I say friend, I'm like, I wish he was my friend, actually, more like an acquaintance that I met one time that I interact with on Twitter. And just by association of him being Indigenous and me being Indigenous, we follow each other and of course, I retweet his his new book from the ashes all the time because I definitely seeing that becoming a number one bestseller in Canada um, for a lot of folks that actually do believe in Indigenous Canadian relations. I think they'll be really interested in his book. So anyway, I was trying to tell him on, I don't know, Facebook or Twitter or something, some social media that, um, you know, there, there's always been those barriers when it comes to issues on you know, having uh, homeless shelters, all those things. And Ruth Sculplock, who a lot of you know, is one of those elders that are, are um, really mentoring me. She had told me about when Awutan was our, our Indigenous women's shelter, for those who do not know, when she was working at trying to make that a thing, there was actually a lot of pushback. So first of all, the reason why she knew we needed it was because she actually worked at Sheriff King, which is supposed to be for all people, but because Canadian Indigenous relations are so poor, there's a huge gap in services and, and bias, a huge racial racial bias. So a lot of people do not understand that. And and here we whitewash that by saying, oh, it's cultural differences. When the irony is, is that indigenous are forced to into this colonial world and are forced to know everything indigenous or English and, you know, Canadian. But It's never been reciprocated ever. So when I talk about oppression, please think about that. Please think about being raised in Germany, being forced to know German, being forced to know all German customs, and then actually have folks that are German have the audacity to say, well, it goes both ways where you don't understand our culture. Nope, you're wrong. We do understand Canadian culture just fine. But to say there's cultural differences and is a nice way to whitewash the idea that, you know, Canadians are racist and biased towards Indigenous people. So anyway, she knew that there was a huge gap and she had this goal and this vision that she had to create the Women's Shelter. And for those who may not know, she also has a book called My Name is Shield Woman, because that's what Awutan in Blackfoot is, is Shield Woman. And So she gave that name to the shelter as well. But of course, it wasn't named that at first. At first, it was just the Indigenous Women's Shelter. And in those days, it would have been Indian woman or um, Aboriginal. you You can always date where somebody started to learn to talk about Indigenous people based on what they say. So anyway, anyway. Um, there was a lot of pushback for there to even be one, and they talked about it being it's going to be riddled in crime and the police will be there all the time and it's going to bring down our property value no matter where you place it. So at first the proposed location was some place in the industrial area which she was not okay with, and she had to fight in order to get it put into a more residential setting. And at the time, and she still to this day calls Ralph Klein her brother because she had to negotiate with that era, of uh, politicians, and Ralph Klein was originally Calgary's mayor, and then he became premier. So she actually did have a lot of pull when she ran for the NDP. Apparently, that kind of severed a few of that, a few of those relationships. But at any t- rate, to this day, she still calls him her brother. So anyway, 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 I was trying to find some evidence to back that up and put it together in a way so that other folks could grab it because. It's actually not that easy to access old newspaper clips and all those things from Calgary, which sucks because nationally, I know a lot of folks probably want to use some of those sources and data, right? So that was the goal. But I'm thankfully, some of the reporters that I have a relationship on social media with were like, Yeah, I know, it's so hard once you get there to not get sidetracked. And that's what happened. So I started getting sidetracked and I took a bunch of pictures of, um, some of the articles that I had come across. And, you know, just based off of the timing, and I was looking at, you know, Indigenous things that were related to a certain time era. So a lot of that stuff came up. And what was coming up, which was really like a reminder and triggering, was the articles that actually led to what is now today called the Rolf Report. And so for those who may not know, who may not remember, May not want to remember. Again, this is where we have the uh, Hope for Wellness one <laughs> line for Indigenous that are listening. This is a very triggering conversation. Um, basically, and maybe I should take that number and now and just go back to the library and put that in there for those who are like stumbling across this. This is really triggering. So anyway, it went into great detail. And this was about 1980s, uh, 1988 area era, about the awful... Uh, police and, and relationships with the blood reserve and the RCMP. And there were people that were literally being, you know, shot in the back of the head and the police not doing anything, point blank. And this led to the Ralph report. So there was a commission that was put up and it's called policing in relation to the blood tribe, a report of the public inquiry and it was released in 1991 and it has a whole bunch of recommendations and and it's interesting reading it because um you know the language they still used in the early 90s um i think like for me personally for somebody who grew up in that era and knows you know the type of language that was always used and and in a really derogatory way and I, it's really hard to, to always encapsulate to folks who didn't grow up in Alberta how bad it was. But, for example, I came across an article about, you know, the land claims for the blood tribe. And embedded in the CBC article was an old, old video um, about about um, the blood tribe and, and the relationship they used and the way the reporter... Described the Blood Tribe as you know militant and radical, and there was no weapons <laughs> or anything. Um, and at the time, you know uh, the oil rich Blood Reserve, and the the way they wrote this article, it made it seem like they were attacking the card of of, of or the town of Cardston, and that um you know those those evil militant rich um, natives want all this land now too. And it, it was just so, it's such a great period piece to showcase the racism, even in the CBC's reporting about Indigenous. And this wasn't that long ago. And unless you're, you grew up here and you understand it, like, I mean, you can imagine me being like three and hearing um, the CBC report on my people in this way. Like, these are the types of things that seep into your mind and you know automatically by hearing something like this this is an us versus them uh world that we're growing up in and you know i wasn't i was born in 1977 so arguably i even missed a lot of the racism i know when ruth talks about some of the racism she experienced before 1980s i mean it, it was and i hate to say it was worse because it, it's just it's just always been awful like for people to be killed execution style. So that we ended up needing this Ralph report, which sounded like it is the reason why we have the blood tribe police now. Um, but even that, like the recommendations that are on that, and I really encourage people to read it. It's so painfully racist the way it's written, you know, again, with the word, terminology, cultural differences, in, in, because the RCMP would never, you know, say that... Um, well, they even imply that the blood tribe doesn't understand Canadian culture, which is totally, completely not true after all of the government policies that's been forced upon us, the languages, everything. It's the most ridiculous thing to read. But that was the thinking in 1991. So that was perfectly acceptable to put out there. So anyway, that was that was incredibly triggering, kind of rereading that. and But what, what it really did, too, was it brought to light not just the sh- shitty racist um, media reporting, but and the way that they wrote it in the actual public inquiry. But it just highlights, like, this is my experience. It, it actually validates to me because I've been gaslit by Canadian society. It just validates how poor, you know, the most critical part of my childhood from 77 to 91, that, that type of writing, that type of style that was set in media, that was set in even public inquiries, And how gross it feels just knowing that this is the basis of my existence in Canadian world. And it also brought up the idea that, you know, we've had all these inquiries. Again, I talk about this all the time on the podcast, the list of inquiries, commissions and such that have never been implemented. This one is no different. And I encourage people to read it because today, 19 or in 2019, we have You know, 231 calls to justice now that have to be implemented on top of the uh, 94 calls to action of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission on top of the over 400 recommendations that was in the Royal Commission of Aboriginal People. And this one is very specific to Treaty 7 area, yet it's still not implemented. And this was released in 91. So, you know, for Canadians, like I, I get so Frustrated by the way they they expect me to solve everything when it's like I'm not the person to solve this. I have been telling everybody here's the policies we need to implement, and of course that goes in one in one ear and out the other. But it's not just me. Like I'm just saying this work that has already been done. I mean the families that were directly impacted by what happened in the late '80s to read this today. It, this is a part of their family history now and, you know, impacted in a really awful, awful way. Like this is its own trauma. And yet it won't ever be recognized by Canadian society <laughs> as a present day trauma that has been imposed on indigenous people. And and it is, this is a part of that present day trauma. And uh, anyway, I'm, I'm bringing all of this up because there is work to do and I I have zero tolerance and patience for people who are like, oh my God, I just don't even know what to do. Well, it's like, <laughs> quit having your tears and crying about it and read. The, the answers are all here. All the answers are right in front of you. All you have to do is read them and go, oh, this is a policy. Easy. Let's implement this. And why it is that is such a hard gap for Canadians, I, I cannot comprehend. So that leads me to talk about a million other things. So let's talk about a million other things. Um, For those who listen to my podcast, you may have heard we had Miranda Jimmy on. And for those who do not know who Miranda Jimmy is, she is an Indigenous woman that um, has no party affiliation and ran for council up in Edmonton. And she ran at the same time I ran for council here in Calgary. So we actually had a lot in common. Um, Erin Paquette also ran at the, the same one. But, you know, very different relationship with him and me. And he actually is affiliated with the NDP. And, you know, so I was talking with Miranda and um, on the podcast, we talked about the Royal um, Museum or Alberta Museum and how disappointed she was with, you know, when it opened. So we finally took the time to go up there and she brought her friend Omar. And Omar is a, a star reporter so he, like, and we just went as friends to kind of like, you know, digest what it is, what was in front of us. Now, for those who may not know, it was open like the less than a year ago. This is a brand new museum. We're talking post-Truth Reconciliation Commission. Oh. So you would think <laughs> it would be rooted in a very different view, but it wasn't, Um I was really, really disappointed. The very first thing I seen was some display for Vikings. And I'm like, what? We're at a Royal Alberta Museum and I'm here to learn about Vikings? Oh, my God. So as it turned out, I actually missed this complete like picture, of course, done by Aaron Paquette, that was supposed to do an acknowledgement of treaty. And it's done in, like, just underneath it, there's this wood jigsaw puzzle piece. And, you know, it has Blackfoot and Dene and then English. And it says, the Royal Alberta Museum respectfully acknowledges that the land upon which we stand on is Treaty 6 territory and a meeting place for generations of First Nation, Métis, and Inuit. In recognition of Indigenous peoples' longstanding connection to the land, we present this changing display that showcases the work of First Nations, Métis, Inuit artists. But I was told that that's actually not the case, that there won't be any change in that. So I hope I'm wrong. Let's hope I'm wrong. Um, so the first thing that you notice when you first go into the new museum floor. Oh, actually, uh, uh, what I'll probably talk about first is um, for a lot of folks who may not know, there's a public open to the public area that has. a a rock and this rock is a meteorite that actually came from from space and landed in um in western canada here and the united church stole it because they knew that the natives were always you know traveling to it and worshiping it and um so the the united church stole it and then and and put it in their church so that people would come to the church (laughs) and then they uh so-called donated this stolen rock to the museum and then they had some indigenous outreach where they talked about what they should do with the rock and there still wasn't that understanding there was a gentleman that was there and he talked to me about his father being at that round table and there was no understanding that you know this is stolen indigenous um you know ceremony and they have no right to have any ownership of it But sure enough, they're like, whatever, stupid native, you obviously don't matter to us. So they just kept the rock and they put it up on a second floor where people can come to see it. But it's actually so tucked away that unless you understand the cultural significance of this, nobody's going to go visit it. So it was really disappointing. I'm like, you're kidding me. So this is the start of the Royal Alberta Museum is a stolen artifact that they have zero intention of giving back to anybody. And just leaving it there with not really an understanding to folks like, you know, this is a really big thing. Um, with any kind of conversation about reconciliation, we see our role as the oppressor and, you know, we want to make amendments and our apologies to, you know, the First Nations directly affected. None of, nope, not going to see anything like that at all. It's whitewashed wording of, of everything as usual. So, you come back down the stairs. Oh, and we were followed the whole time by security. Like, for no reason. You know, what, three indigenous women with hair, um, you know, or loud shirts or whatever. Whatever whatever they, they stereotype us. We obviously needed a security escort. So, we go up there and and we're learning about this. And, and it, it's a very sacred place. And I actually felt um, really humbled to be in its pre- presence. But... I also felt really bad. I didn't have tobacco. Um, I didn't think to bring tobacco, but apparently you can bring tobacco. I've seen uh, braids of sweetgrass there. Some folks had put a few cigarettes there. And for those who do not know, don't judge Indigenous people for doing that, because to us, that is still tobacco that we are giving as an offering. And it's actually nicely contained in a cigarette package for us to be able to just put a small cigarette there. And so I seen a few of those there and I thought that was, um, you know, I felt like I wish I had brought some anyway, anyway, um, heading down the stairs, you go into the display and you actually (laughs) don't really know much where to go or what to do. So they put up a small thing saying, just go around in a circle. It's basically a square and they have it so you can go left or right, but they prefer you to go left and then right. So anyway. Um, We got in there and there's no, you know, um, real conversation. There's nothing about reconciliation. I don't even know if they have the word reconciliation anywhere in the entire museum. And I looked for it. Uh, So certainly not when you first come in. But something that it was uh, Miranda, she pointed out right away. It was her. It's one of her favorite displays by Ruth Cuthan, And it's Hand in Hand, Trade and Disease. And what she did was she beaded the sicknesses that were brought here. So I'll just read to you. Um, Beads and sickness went hand in hand. Traders brought both. Uh, European traders benefited from immunity to many diseases, but Indigenous people had no such protection. Recurring um, epidemics sorry, devastated entire nations. Morality rates sometimes reached 90%. Mortality rates, sorry. I need to bring this closer to my face. I took pictures here. Mortality rates sometimes reached 90%. This display examines both sides of European trade. Trade brought new items that revolutioned... Oh, this is whitewashed. So they're talking about, oh, well, the Europeans just revolutionized native life. Whatever. Bullshit. Um, the iron pot. New trapping methods. The introduction of the horse. We had the horse. And we already had pots that were just fine. Guess what? They were even eco-sensitive, but you wouldn't know anything about that because you won't listen to us. Um, new trapping methods, and actually, a lot of the uh, trapping methods what we used are are our trapping methods, not necessarily theirs. Um, and, and glass beads. So we were using already shells that were colored or other things that were colored, but you know, this is a nice way to whitewash our cultures. So it's written from a colonial point of view opposed on indigenous as opposed to having indigenous people explain this. The downside was that the decim- decimation of many tribes through disease. Yeah, that's a downside. Another word we might use is called fucking genocide. Thanks a lot. So, um, she then later went on to do um, some beating. So, ten different examples of measles, influenza, whooping cough, uh, the bubonic plague, cholera, diphtheria, uh, typhoid fever, uh, smallpox, scarlet fever, and chickenpox. So that she beaded all of these in in the display, and it's just it's really incredible because it would look like some like the cells that you you would see if you were to be under a microscope. So just brilliant. So I was really grateful. Miranda, you know, told me about her favorite uh, display, and then they basically have these little small glass cases that you can go around and see what it is that they have. So they have like one small little one that's like, oh, we are all treaty people. And, of course, it's all done in in French and English. And Miranda, she was so awesome to share some of her backstory of what she knew about it. This actually was curated by um, some Swedish guy. And, you know, the executive director, she's from Toronto, so she may not have the roots. Like, for someone like me, who identifies as a second-generation Albertan, um, you know, to have that long-standing memory of some of the things that have happened here and just kind of have it basically whitewashed um you know so they talked about having you know treaty and they had like a treaty coin and some of the uniforms that they used but they also had a pipe and and they don't have any explanation to any of this as to who donated it um or if who they stole it from and are making restitutions to like nothing like that i guess there's a reason right so and something that um really really struck me was they did whitewash i think the whole smallpox epidemic in general but it really bothered me that the one way that they were willing to acknowledge it was through the smallpox riot that happened with the chinese um here in calgary and i don't know if they did any outreach to it but they had this small tiny display that talked about this riot that had happened here in calgary in 1892 um when there was a, a smallpox outbreak and they traced it to uh, one of the laundry mats in Chinatown. So health authorities burnt down the f- whole building and its con- contents. I really want to swear, but I'm trying to, to stop doing that. Um, in all, they quarantined 17 people, six of whom were Chinese. I'd be really curious out of those uh, 17 minus six, that's 11. I wonder how many um, were indigenous. Newspapers and town officials play on people's fears of smallpox to whip up anti-Chinese sentiment. 5 weeks later, the Chinese men are released from quarantine. So wait a second, there were 6 and now there's 5. So that, that's that's an that's that's interesting. Oh no, 5 weeks later the Chinese men are released and 300 people riot. The Chinese men are attacked and their property damaged. Calgary pr- police refuse to step in. Threats against the Chinese continue for another three weeks. That's a nice little whitewash way to talk about racism, isn't it? Um, they ha- in their display, they have this, In the end, no rioters were persecuted. The Chinese community receives nothing for its suffering. The Chinese men who leave and those who stay behind know that they cannot expect fairness from the justice of the town of Calgary. Yeah, So that's like in 1892, we've been talking about racism and um, social justice inequalities. And like, for real, folks, that's over 100 years. When when are we going to wake up to this? I don't know. Anyway, anyway. um, No one recorded the names of the quarantined Chinese men. We do not know what happened to them. In Calgary today, nothing remains of these men, their homes, or of the riot. That's a little nice piece of Calgary history for you, isn't it? So anyway, um, they did have uh, an area that oh, I was so upset when Miranda kind of gave me the backstory. Originally, when they when they talked about Indian residential schools, they wanted it in a prominent place. Apparently, the museum board said, oh, no, no, we don't want to trigger anybody so that you know, so really, they just don't want to have the uncomfortable conversations of reconciliation. Shocking, Nobody does. Anyway, with that, they moved it into the museum. So I had no idea walking into it that that was what I was coming across. So it was it's interesting how we can't trigger Canadians or visitors about the reconciliation, but we can trigger um, indigenous folks, right? So there's no conversation about reconciliation. There's nothing on it. In fact, they whitewash the terminology. They don't say Indian residential schools. They say residential schools. And then they have a map that has, it doesn't even say um, residential schools. It has the boarding schools. So, you know, for a lot of folks, they're looking at this um, and not understanding that these schools, if you don't know anything about, you know, Indian residential schools abuses Indigenous people. You would have no clue that this is anything but a map of schools. No idea, no concept because they they don't have anything properly labeled. So they have this small map explaining, um, you know, oh here's some boarding schools. No context to it at all, at all. Uh, they had a, um, you know, artifacts of like you know children's garb or toys that they used to play with, implying that Indian residential schools, one, allowed these kids to wear them, which they didn't, or two, allowed these kids to play with these toys, which they didn't. They took all of these things and burnt them. They didn't want these kids to have any access to it because they thought it was all pagan. So none of this, you know, display reflects any of that. They don't say anything in there about... um the context of of putting that out there who they stole it from who they plan to give it back to if it was donated we know it wasn't donated jesus christ so i'm just getting angry thinking about it they had a small teepee um in there as well and you know obviously uh with its paintings not properly told the story about the paintings the family comes from nothing (sighs) i'm getting really angry and hurt just thinking about it frankly um Alex uh, Jarvier, he has a uh, beautiful piece there. And it I actually got a little choked up looking at it because um, it's his, his um, display of tears, blood of tears. But no real context, again, about the abuses that Indigenous faced or the context of, you know, forcing all these Indigenous kids into these jails, basically, and only to be used and abused in a negative way. So... To, there's definitely no you know 1855 number for the hopeless hope and wellness line and, and in fact my friend miranda had gone in a previous time with another indigenous elder and they when they walk when they finish this display and walk through they actually walk through to of uh, the place where they have the trains and the elder looked at the trains and the and the benches they have there and said oh i remember sitting there for three hours waiting for the train to take me to Indian Residential School. And of course, Miranda, oh, nor I, because we didn't experience it firsthand, would have no you know, context of that at all. Um, and my people, they were actually rounded up on boats and taken down the Mackenzie River to the schools. Um, if you go to Fort Providence, you see the docking that they had to pick up all of the, the Inuit and the Dene and bring them to the schools. So that's kind of a heavy moment to hear that and know that that was the reality for um for this particular elder and of course no trigger warning for indigenous people and and unfortunately just completely whitewashed and I'm just going to say that is the the crux of my problem with it you can't open a museum in Canada post truth and reconciliation commission and not have a focus on that at all and and so low bar the whole museum should be based off of that and it wasn't so needless to say i was totally upset and then when we got into the car and um um, katie lang's um song came on that i just utterly love and i it blurted at me like i just fell into my head and out of my mouth um they have a Whole display for uh, Black Albertans, and they have a whole display. Well, not a whole display. It's tiny, small, little glass outcropping, just like for Indigenous on LGBT. And I don't say Q two plus for a reason because it's very whitewashed. It doesn't, you know, talk about anything that um, more context to it. And for that, I'll say here in Calgary, we have a wonderful book about context of the queer history here in Alberta and nothing Two-Spirit, absolutely nothing. So here we are in an age of so-called reconciliation, post-reconciliation report, and no mention of Two-Spirit, nothing. So I was really upset because, you know, I was born and raised here. I know when Katie Lang, when she came out, um, how that was like scandalous and then when she came out as a vegan, that was the end of the freaking world because we're, you know, in Alberta and Alberta beef is the best thing on the planet. And um, I thought if you did nothing more than just have a small display on Katie Lang and her accomplishments and contributions by just simply existing as a gay lesbian. I mean, she's internationally known, for Christ's sake. She's on tour internationally for this. And we, we just we're just not even going to acknowledge Katie Lang. At the Royal Alberta Museum? Come on. So lame. <sighs> I'm getting really upset just even thinking about it. Anyway, uh, moving on. One of the things I did like. This is like one of the very few things I liked. Had, they had a huge map of Alberta. And on that map, they had um, some of the names of places in different languages. And they, they color-coded it so you know if you're talking about Cree or Denny or Blackfoot. And I, I loved that part. That part I loved. And I wish all of our maps reflected that, like every single map. Um, oh, I was just having a look at some of the pictures I had taken. And I'm looking exactly at, at some of the pictures I took of that map. And, you know, the Wetaskiwin spelling, uh, the proper spelling as opposed to the, um, you know, made for English-speaking Canada <laughs> spelling. So, yeah, really, really enjoyed that one part. And uh, so I took a picture of Calgary because I knew, you know, I'm native Calgarian. And um, so they had some different, they have Mokinstis in it, which uh, I hear a lot of. And uh, and Blueberry Hill. I'm like, really, what's that all about? So anyway, it was in Cree, Nakoda, Dene, Blackfoot, Métis, Iroquois, and Sultanute. I don't know how to say that. I'm, can I say I was born and raised in Alberta? Um, and another display they had was their so-called modern part. And all they did was they took some pictures and some of the books that are free here in Calgary from uh, youth, say, and put it on display. And they said, oh, well, here is from the Calgary Urban or Urban Society for Aboriginal Youth. Are, are books that are now in Blackfoot. And, you know, I was like, really? Really? And I'm just going to say this out there. Um, it, it does list a few elders here and there. But one, they don't capitalize elder. But two, they don't really talk about, you know, their contribution. Like, I don't know if the Blackfoot books that they put into the museum, that the people who worked on them even know that they're there. So you can imagine their family probably doesn't know they're there either. So it still feels like that constant we're stealing things and appropriating it and and putting our spin on it instead of doing proper consultation with indigenous people. It really bothered me. One of the things that was so gross was they actually tried to talk about the Indian Act and again, whitewashed the way their perspective. We worked together and won. Who the hell says that about the Indian Act in a time of reconciliation? I know the Alberta or the Royal Alberta Museum does. I can't believe they put that. So they have this this, this display that talks about the 1951 um revisions to actually register people with their bands. And oh, it's just so gross. So then they actually talked a, a lot about um there, there was a real issue of the government trying to steal a bunch of land by um, Mascua now or at the time Hobima. And because of that, they, they wanted to basically disenfranchise two families which had over 100 members so that they could steal a bunch of the oil wells that were there. So that was their whole purpose in doing this, was to steal like $7 million in oil reven- revenue, from Hobima, because they didn't think Hobima deserved it. So they were going to disenfranchise these two um, family members in order to do this. So then they they got this lawyer, Ruth Gorman, and she fought to try to give them their rights as, as Indians, basically, because that was still the terminology then. And um, so I'm watching this little documentary that they have, and I'm like, really, this is what we're going to talk about when it comes to the Indian Act? And you're still going to take the like, and you're gonna take these words, we work together and won, and make it as if this was a good thing. Holy crap! Tr- I was so pissed. So then, beside that, they have the um, sexism in the Indian Act, but they don't really tell the whole story about who actually sued and who the the court case that this was about, in order for you know C31 to be a thing and for people like me to get status because my mom who is a hundred percent native married my dad. So I was a C31. And in our communities, we even like, Oh yeah, well, she's just a C31 as if that is somehow okay to say somebody that you're not native enough. Anyway. um, So the 1985 C31 display is there and they, they tell it from, you know, uh, the, the perspective of the Samson Cree, which it, which is fine and all but I just think that um, you know there, there is a, a bigger picture there to to talk about this and, and how how many folks were involved in this but they really only make it on on this couple of families so anyway this is a really gross time where everybody talks about blood quantum and why I have a problem with anybody talking about blood quantum is that rape is totally been a thing since contact. And I always tell people who are like, oh, are you Métis? Because it's like, oh, you're a half-breed. You're not good enough to be a full native. It's like, (laughs) you don't even know what you're talking about. And I can tell you that in my family, rape is a thing. And that um, even though my mom and dad may have had consensual sex, that doesn't mean that's been the lineage of my entire family and why I'm even here. Thank you. So, you know, just don't talk about blood quantum. It's so gross. So anyway, we finally get ready to go and we sat down okay. and kind of had a conversation about, you know, how did you really feel about this? And I, I don't know really what I said, but it just a bunch of words came out and I my husband taped it. So I don't know if that's going to come out or not, but I'm going to show it to Omar and to Miranda before we publish it, if we choose to. Um, anyway, we we were followed by security through the whole thing. And then when we were sitting down and talking about it, security was right there the whole time listening to it. And they never asked us to leave, but they were coming by so often that when we were ready to go, like we were at the point where, okay, we're going to have to interview these guys online, whatever. It didn't work out that way. So anyway, if you're really interested in the Royal Alberta Museum, one, I can tell you it's not worth the money. But two, you can find out on Twitter your Viking name. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, one of my highlights, because it was with Miranda and Omar, was that Miranda was, you know, really giving context to some of the city policies that had uh, come down or the arts policies even. And um, we got to see right there. There's like this line right where the Royal Alberta Museum is and right behind it is the street of ninety seven. And they wanted to do a bunch of revitalization of the street. So, you know, this and 96 are so-called revitalizing. And this is where, and some of you who are on a Facebook and Twitter may remember when Isaac Murdoch had come to Edmonton to do a street mural. This is where it is, actually. So I took a picture of it because it's it's just breathtaking. Um, and, and the other thing that was, is on the other side of it are some tributes. Uh, Justice for Colton is there. And that's for Colton Bushy. And then one for Tina Fontaine with strawberries that every girl is my daughter. Because that—that that is how it feels. Like it just, it hurts. And then beside that is a stop genocide um, conversation. I, I just, it's so obvious how our people are affected. Yet so many folks are so oblivious to it. There was also, and I didn't take pictures of it. I don't know why I didn't. But there was two sculptures, metal sculptures that were there. And they were basically, you know, um, depictions of men wearing pants and animals coming out the the hands and the head and, you know, a lot of rodent style um, depictions. And apparently, because this so-called revitalization place is where Chinatown was, and they actually moved it, if you can believe it, because that's the way racism works, as we all know. And... With that, the elders of the Chinese community had seen these new sculptors and said that they were totally and completely offended by it because apparently a derogatory term for Chinese used to be rats. And then on top of it, it was also saying, you know, the people from this community are are like animals. And so the the Chinese elders really took offense. And when you say it like that, well, yeah, that totally makes sense. So it's amazing like And and I talked to Miranda at length about the Beaufort Towers and the the lack of really, you know, cultural understanding and arts and such and talking to community about these issues. And, and it's just so, I don't know what the right word is. I just think we both have come to the conclusion that um, the, the system is too big to change and they don't really care when it comes to, you know, true community. So that is kind of where we're both kind of having those conversations and talking about our, our experiences, but I can't tell you, I can't thank you enough Miranda for the tourism, for the context, because I I really appreciated it. So we walked down this 90, Avenue and, uh, they actually renamed a little street called and, and called it, um, angel way for the missing and murdered indigenous women, uh, girls in two spirit. And, uh, so I took a picture of it because it I just thought it, you know we we need to do more things like that, but unfortunately, right behind it is an armory, so it just it just seems so perfect to have m m i w and you know an armory right behind it in conjunction because that's Canada's history. it just is but if there was a really good thing about this, I did tweet out about you know hearing hallelujah uh, and katie lang and how offended i was as a uh, Berta girl that she wasn't somehow included and she liked my tweet so i'm gonna fangirl that moment on my podcast because i love her <laughs> but you know i'm gonna segue into twitter and how weird twitter is for me and <laughs> i don't know i don't think anybody um really understands how weird Twitter is culturally when it comes between two different uh, perspectives, because, and I'll give you a context to this whole conversation. So there is this person who was visiting uh, Banff National Park. Now, originally, they had in their Twitter profile that, you know, this is Victoria from New York City, And originally, it had talked about being like travel person, blogger, whatever. This person likes to travel. So, and they have since even changed it to take out all of that. So anyway, there's this video that she had taken and put on Twitter and it went viral. And it says, I was just assaulted by a man who first told me to go back to my own country at Bath National Park. Please share. I reported it to the proper authorities and I hope something happens. Uh, but I think that it would be good if it goes viral. These people don't get to win. And so they put um, something out there to the RCMP, to Banff National Park. And in the video, like you can see these bikers and they like, you know, punch her camera and such. So they assault her like that. That's point blank an assault. But I think because this has gone viral and for all intents and purposes, she's white passing. um, you know, a lot more will be done by it. So anyway, when it first, when I first seen it, I'm, you know, had to read everybody's um, comments. And of course, this theme kept coming up of, oh my God, we're in Canada and we are so not racist and I'm so sorry that happened. And this is Trump and oh my God. And I really was just annoyed (laughs) at a lot of these comments, um, and so, at one point in time, when somebody was like so pro cop, like, oh my God, I love the cops so much, and they're so gonna get their man. I was like, well, it's a good thing, you know, they aren't indigenous, otherwise, not, you know, or something to the effect that because they're not indigenous, something will be done. And what's weird about that is that while, you know, a few people retweeted it, more people just kind of liked it. And the person who was all pro police like had to rebuttal me a couple of times. And I don't know why. Like it, it's so weird, because you can tell by their profile, they're just a proud Canadian and that they think they're liberal, and blah, 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 blah. So this last night at like four in the morning, I got a new tweet from this person. And it says, you know, I have to offer that there are many people in Canada that are pissed off as you are. But seriously, how do we help you? The First Nations are not happy with what has and has not happened. If you consider how many are lost, why are First Nations special? If a person goes missing or murdered, um, you know, this is a national issue. We care. In the vast expanse that is the Canadian North, how do we fix that? For fuck's sakes, the unpopulated North is impossible to search. The trade workers who were... Picton's victims were untraceable. Know where people are, keep people close, but for fuck's sakes, it's on us. What the hell is that kind of message? Like, I can't even respond to that because I don't even know what they're trying to say, first and foremost. Like, how can we help you? Literally, how many times do you have to be told? We have ample, you know, recommendations, calls to action, calls to justice. Articles from the Undrip, like we how can you even ask someone who's Indigenous, how can we help you? What if we don't want your help? We want you to treat us equally. What if you actually had the responsibility to learn about Indigenous as much as you do anything else? Like, how do I even answer that? I can't answer this in a tweet, that's for sure. The first nation are not happy with what has happened and what has not happened. If you consider how many are lost, are why are First Nations special? So this person who likely identifies as a liberal um honestly thinks it's okay to say these things, which means they have no concept of intergenerational trauma, no concept of government policies that are imposed on indigenous people, and think it's okay to say, oh, your people are lost. Could you imagine if I just said that about Canadians? They're lost. (laughs) Could you imagine? All those people who have addiction issues, well, they're lost. Like, that's the most ridiculous, awful thing to say to somebody. And this person thinks they're progressive, right? Um, If a person goes missing and murdered, it's a national issue. We care. Um, I think that the, uh, you know, mountain of reports and such that show otherwise actually show Canadians don't care. Um, And the lack of, you know, the Royal Alberta Museum putting any effort into reconciliation kind of shows us nobody cares. Um, How do we fix that? Well, I kind of already complained about that. Uh, This this really upsets me. The unpopulated north is impossible to search. Um, No, it's not impossible to search at all. And it's actually quite insulting that you would even say that. Um, What's impossible is the amount of policies like, you know, dog sled teams and such that were murdered on spot for us having the audacity to, you know, live on the land. That's impossible to understand. But just searching our great white north? No, it's not impossible. That's why the Dene and Inuit and many folks have lived, Cree have lived there for thousands thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years prior to 153 years of contact Ugh, whatever the trade workers who were pick, uh, picknem's victims were untraceable Whew. i can't even imagine saying that to somebody i can't imagine like she does has no concept how awful of a thing that is to say first of all pickton is the problem, not the victims. Trade workers, do you even understand the poverty of the Indian Act and how that's been imposed on Indigenous women? Nope, probably not. Like, I don't even know how to talk about how awful this makes me feel, this, these two tweets. I can't believe it. And keep people close? Holy shit. What an awful thing to say to people. I, you know, I'm, and the irony is, I know people don't like the terms Karens and Janice, but the person who ta- who wrote this, her name is Janice. So Janice, I don't know even how to tell you this, but what you said was incredibly racist, and I know you think you're progressive. You even have in your, you know, um, Twitter handle that you're a divorced lesbian. Well, that doesn't mean you understand Indigenous people, and, and these types of tweets to send to people... Why do you have to give us your opinion and your thoughts? Like, it was a really simple statement that I had put out there. Really simple. You know, just whatever. You don't have to reply to it. It's just the reality. So, like, me just even going on Twitter, is this This is the type of crap that you have to read and put up with? And I'm like, like, I can't even reply to that. Because there's no way you can possibly reply to this except in a podcast. So all I'm going to do is I'm going to... Put up this podcast, give her the link, and see if she possibly would listen to this and see how these comments are so awful. And I unfortunately don't know how to tell you this, Janice, but seriously, just don't tweet at Indigenous people. Learn about Indigenous people. You you don't have to have a white savior mentality. We have told ample amount of reports, our traumas, the problems, the solutions. We need you to not you know, sit there in helplessness and see our great white north as something impossible. You need to see it as people who lived there, who were forced by the RCMP and by the military to live in small little areas called reserves. You get to live on, you know, Canada while we live under the Indian Act. I am still considered a ward of the state according to that stupid law. And had you read something like policing in relation to the blood tribe, the Ralph report, had you read read the two hundred and thirty-one calls to justice? Have you read the ninety-four calls to action? You would know the solutions are there. You don't have to save us. So anyway, go bang, going back to Victoria and her um, her conversation. If you follow what happened at all, basically she's a Russian. Um, Immigrant who came to uh, first New York and then Canada, she would went to Banff to go to Johnston Canyon and there's a ridiculous lineup and whatever, whatever. But what really came out of this was the amount of people that were like, oh, my God, what happened five minutes beforehand? You did all the provoking. They told you to leave them alone. Blame the victim mentality that has always perpetuated in Canada, Um, which I think is illustrated when I was talking earlier about the smallpox and the Chinese, you know, anything to hate people who are aren't white. It's longest history here in our area. That's for sure. So anyway, I wanted to share because, you know, Catherine McKenna finally got on board and was like, oh, my God, like you, I'm so appalled by this behavior. Our national parks are meant to be places for everybody. Um, to explore and enjoy our beautiful country. These kind of comments have no place in our society. I'm happy to hear that authorities are investigating this incident. I was really grateful that a Calgarian tweeted at her. Actually, the national parks were formed by ejecting indigenous people who lived on them, which is 100% true. That's the history of the Stoney. That's why their res is on the east side of the mountains, is because exactly that, where the Canadian government was like, we need total control of these national parks, so let's kick out the Indians. That's totally what happened. That is 100% true. Tweet goes on. Uh, Banff, at least, was built using labor of interim enemy aliens. So for those who do not know, Japanese interim camps were a thing all across Canada, but really specifically out here in the West. Uh, One of my favorites, hot springs that I went to outside of Banff National Park was... um, uh, Oh, what was that little town called? What was that? Do you remember? Oh, well. Darn it. Okay, well, now that's going to bug me until I figure it out. But um, there's so there's there's a group of hot springs here in the Rocky Mountain houses. Uh, or Rocky Mountains, I should say. <laughs> Can you tell I grew up in Sylman Lake? In the Rocky Mountains here, there are lots of different um, sources of springs. And more into the interior of B.C., And and Ainsworth, thank you, my producer, Uh, in Ainsworth, there was a hotel and that was filled with Japanese er er intern camp uh, residents. Um, That's not prisoners. That's a better word. Let's use the word prisoners. And then here in Banff, there was um, a camp as well for these prisoners. And uh, there's a really great book out there that came from one of the liberal Uh, candidates from Medicine Hat, uh, Sakamoto, there's a book on this and their experience as Japanese intern camp uh, prisoners here in Canada. So I highly recommend that book. I haven't read it yet. It's on my to-do book and read list. Anyway, so that was a thing here in Bav. And then what they did was after the war, they made it an army cadet camp. And then they tore it down during some of the cuts in the 90s. And now it's just an open area. But all of that, you know, history is totally gone at Banff. So what they said here about Banff being built on the labor of intern enemy aliens is 100% true. Those were Japanese intern war uh, prisoners that built Banff. And, and then they go on to say, I agree with your sentiment, but let's not erase the past. Hallelujah! Thank you for that tweet. That was a great tweet, so I had to retweet that one. Obviously, so I mean, Catherine McKenna follows me, and I follow Catherine McKenna because I think it's important to be following what's going on. And we were all a part of the same liberal team that were like, "Man, we got to get rid of Harper." Um, Obviously, what she's done in the last three to four years has been, you know, something that I I really admire. What she has talked about when it talks to the environment and such, and do I wish they would talk more about um, other things? Absolutely. But that's her job is to talk about the environment. And yep, I don't know what to say about the whole pipeline conversation other than I know, you know, everybody knows that this is going to be forced on Indigenous people at the end of a rifle for the RCMP, which I absolutely do not condone. Um, I spoke out publicly about C-51, both at the Liberal Convention and, and in the media, this isn't something that I have no idea what I'm talking about because, you know, policing Indigenous people, we did a whole episode on their book. Um, this is our reality. This is why I talk about it at the end of every episode. Anyway, um, you know, I hate Harper. There's no question. I think Harper and Jason Kenney, Andrew Shear, that whole crowd, they voted for awful policies that hurt Indigenous, hurt women, hurt marginalized people. And, you know, Catherine McKenna, Justin Trudeau, that group of people, I think we're were, are trying to do better. You have to remember, not one single Indian agent, Indian affairs minister ever has gone, holy shit, there's not clean drinking water. Oh, my God, I had no idea. Well, let's take an inventory and then made an inventory, let alone set goals to actually, you know, get people clean drinking water. So there's a real disconnect with people who are like, man, I hate fucking Justin Trudeau. Because it's like, yep, these policies are super shitty. <laughs> I agree with you. I just know that Harper and Andrew Scheer and Jason Kenney are worse. So anyway, anyway, with that, we should probably wrap up. I'm Sometimes these episodes go a lot longer than I ever anticipate. <laughs> but I did want to, ta- want to talk a little bit about some of the tweets that I retweet. You know, there's um one that's coming out from Lisa Porter calling all my science Twitter colleagues looking to invite LGBTQ2 plus scientists with an ecological and mo- molecular bio, biomed area to be a speaker at a symposium October 4th to 5th. Anyone interested or knows a good speaker, blah, 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 gives the information about it. Of course, October 4th is Sisters in Spirit Vigils. So my hope is that they'll understand that too. Anyway, I know they're planning their thing and I hope I hope it to be a good thing, but I definitely support the idea of actually having an LGBTQ2 plus scientist because they have a different perspective to always offer no matter what, um, that straight people like me get to learn from every single day. So thank you folks. Anyway, Indigenous have been talking about our issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, public hearings, just so they can be regularly disregarded with people like, oh my God, I don't know how to help you. No more. Honor their words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize the marginalized in their budget with gender equity, plus if they're cutting violence prevention program services, indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, know that your vote to that party is directly going to negatively impact marginalized people demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People, the multiple reports on child welfare reform, violence prevention, health prevention, the 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on MMIWG2, and, of course, the Ralph report. That's a good one here in our area. Denying those reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism In the educational justice, health institutions, sports, with multiple reports that say the same thing, demand change from the election platforms and politicians. If they do not understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism, they literally have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties, local politicians, community organizations, sports, teachers, healthcare providers, everyone, etc., violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast, to speak freely, without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, and as many people do not want to hear Indigenous opinion, but sure want to tell us theirs, by people who know nothing about Indigenous, know nothing about colonialism, know nothing about the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, our rights. Typical microaggressions, people dealing with internalized trauma, people who are gatekeepers, folks that survive off the status quo and are so in their trauma, they stop people from doing the other work and deplete personal resources. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. This is why I needed this podcast as a boundary to be heard. But here we are, and I'm getting to heal from that. That's an unexpected side effect of having this podcast. My hope is my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of trying to discuss these present day issues in a way that they understand down the road. Um, I'm a big believer in cultural safety so that you can create safer spaces, not just for indigenous, but all people who are marginalized, whether they're people of color, disability, LGBTQ2 plus. Um, look at this as the first aid for marginal, for marginalized populations. Um, do something. When you see people uh, being attacked, having good intentions is not enough tweeting out oh my god i don't know what to do not enough action we need accomplices and people doing something so you have to take action to make change you have to speak out against racism you have to ask questions with those who are understanding you know it's 2019 you can google this there are literally books documentaries podcasts everything about this Uh, Find allies, create support systems for you and yourself to advocate for culturally uh, safe spaces. Take responsibility for your own learning. Read, reflect, ask questions. Do not expect this to always come from Indigenous people, because I know I have put out tons of free resources that have been disregarded, as have many other Indigenous, as have many Black folk, as have many Indigenous, or uh, trans folk, as have blah 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 entered the demographic here. Please take time for self-reflection. Beware of your own assumptions and biases. Look, man, I'm an able-bodied straight woman. I'm telling you, I have assumptions and biases. If I can start questioning that within me, it's the least you can do as well. Question everything you've learned about Indigenous people and take steps to actively disrupt the stereotypes. Commit to lifelong learning. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable at times. um, Learning about anti-Blackness in the media, things like that. Uh, Understanding colonialism and the legacy of racism is an ongoing and difficult task. Here to help.bc.ca visions, Indigenous people, what is uh, Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it. Thank you for that link. Uh, Internalized racism and lateral violence is another form of violence Indigenous or marginalized people experience by the structure of racism imposed on these lands, such as the Indian Act, Indian Residential School and other land clearing policies. You can look at racialequitytools.org about what is internal racism to find out more. And there are lots of do's and don'ts, uh, bystander intervention for folks that are experiencing racist, anti-black, anti-Muslim, anti-trans, and other form of oppressive interpersonal violence and harassment. And there are many tips on how you can intervene while considering the safety of everyone. And for example, this video that's going viral of this Russian immigrant A really great example where, where were any of the bystanders? Somebody witnessed that. Not, there was a whole lineup of people at Johnston Canyon. Not one person, you know, was there with them about that, which is really disappointing because I know how those lineup works. And, you know, they were all stuck together for that amount of time. There was somebody behind them that witnessed all of this. Anyway, take cues from people being harassed. Make your presence known. Do what you need to do to keep yourself safe. Don't call the police, don't escalate the situation, but don't do nothing because silence is dangerous. It communicates approval and leaves the victim high and drive. If you find yourself too afraid or nervous to speak out, move closer to the person being harassed and communicate your support with your body. Here's the thing, folks. This woman, she outright said that it was her family that fought the Nazis like she had to say that later in other tweets where it was like yeah I was fucking scared she said that she she said she was petrified and people were like well you couldn't have been too scared otherwise you wouldn't have been taping it but blah, blah, blah. we like to blame the victim around here so because of that she had to tell people a little more of her family history and that she actually had oh man there were these really great russian women who um they were called the the russian witches i think Something like that. Anyway, they were in their planes, and because they had to turn off their motors and then drop the bombs on the Nazis, the sound that came over was like women on their broomsticks. So that's why they were called the witches, which is awesome. And apparently that's her own family legacy. So what are the chances of that? Anyway, she's petrified, but she's like, well, if grandma can fight the Nazis, the least I can do is videotape this fucking asshole who's threatening me. So hats off to you, Victoria, for not just advocating for yourself, not just being a good bystander, but actually putting that out there on the internet for everybody to see. Cause I have a lot of respect. I literally been talking about this for, I don't know, 60 episodes or something. And it goes in one ear and not the other because Canadians, they just don't get their, you know, the concept of ally means action. So here we are. Anyway, uh, for all my teacher kids about accountability in a positive way. Uh, Penny Middleton has this tweet. We should teach our girls this phrase. What did you mean by that? It's a subtle way to hold people accountable and a way to teach our girls that sitting in discomfort is not a gender prerequisite. And that was January 18th, 2018. But that was tweeted out by Penny. Thank you. If you're experiencing emotional distress and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310 It is toll free, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. If you're non Indigenous, call the distress centres because they'll always help you. Uh, Thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom of what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt, my stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through your Austrian roots, and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. Through you, I am a second generation proud proud Calgarian, and yeah, well, even my non Indigenous or my Indigenous family, like I've had dinner with them the other day and it was very clear like I have to be strong and blunt in and talking about the rights cuz you know we have a lot of damage done by these stupid indian residential schools and <sighs> apprehension policies anyway thank you to my husband for producing and editing the show on top of being my husband my childhood friend father of our child and support of my journey down the red road He's witnessed decades of racism and sexism. And to our child, who we are blessed to learn from every day, I'm honoured you chose us. Uh, You give me daily accountability to be a stronger, better, and humble person. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge in support. Thank you to Alexandria, Ashley, Beatrice, Celine, Diana, Heather, Jocelyn, Joni, Judy, Kenna, Kimberly, Lee, uh, Matt, Nancy, Nathan, Natalie, Phyllis, Sharon, The Sprawl, Tiffany, Vanessa with one S, and Veronica. Thank you for signing up. If you did one donation or had many or had to quit for financial reasons, please know that I appreciate your support. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. For those that cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at NativeYYC at gmail.com where you can send in your questions or concerns. Uh, We're also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and other um, um, podcast software. Thank you to Leah Langer for your comment. If your podcast is a blend of self-empowerment and healing for you, then it is propelled into the sound waves, and I feel them here. And I want to end with the side eye I give to all those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I am not tradish. And my beautiful cousin would respond, or you'd be in my dish.